Please take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses um, 24 through 32. As the Apostle Paul continues to not just talk in the abstract, but gets into specifics. And he's making this case throughout, we're getting specifics about our sin. And he's making this case that's going to go all the way to chapter 3, verse 20. So just prepare yourselves because... He's revealing the heart of darkness that's in each and every one of us. Um, and none of us has uh, any right to claim in relation to God that we've got it all together. Um, so keep that in mind as we read this text this morning. Oh, by the way, this, it's, it's bad news before the good news because you're not going to accept the good news unless you hear the bad news. So just understand that as we go into it. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to hear the Apostle Paul as he wrote under the sinful, sin, excuse me, sinless influence of your spirit and faithfully directed us to get a true diagnosis of the bad news regarding our natural hearts. Please use this bad news to help us appreciate the good news that Jesus died for us in our natural condition so that we wouldn't have to pay for our many, many sins against you. So please do your work and interrogate our hearts by your word that we might enjoy praise you for so great a salvation freely given to us in Christ Jesus. For it is in Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen. Do you know what the theme verse of this present evil age that we live in right now? You know what the theme verse is? They have a Bible verse and they quote it all the time. Trying to shut Christians up. It's, Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged. 
as if you could apply it in such a way that you could take God's standard out of everything. And that none of us could ever be held accountable to what God says. You see, that's what Paul was getting at, and I tried to emphasize that in my reading, that is, the, the main problem isn't all the list of sins, although those are big problems, they're important, but the essential problem is, is that they did not acknowledge God. That is the key issue that goes right back to the garden. We'll see that. Did God actually say? And we go, did God actually say that these things are wrong and debased and dishonorable? Did he actually say that? Yes, he did. Right here. And it's affirmed throughout all the scriptures and it's been affirmed in the church for 2,000 years. But we're smarter than God now. We have more insight. We have more science. We have more everything and we can see into it. We can peer into the essence of things like God and determine for ourselves what is right and wrong. Can we not? Judge not lest you be judged. Well, who's doing the judging? I want to ask these people. <laughs> they Are they doing the judging? Apparently, because there is no God to refer to, right? By the way, the judge not, lest you be judged, is not a command to remain morally neutral. It's not. It's just the opposite. It's a challenge. I have a, no, I'll say, I have a challenge for you. Not a challenge like, you better do this, but just take, take it up if you're interested. Go home and read Matthew 7 beyond verse 1, especially verses 1 through 5. For as Jesus goes on to explain, it is a warning. You apply the law of God to everyone else and exempt yourself. That's what he's getting at. He's not saying the law can't be applied, not even by you. It's the fact that you go hard on others and you go soft on yourself. It's a warning against hypocrisy. But even to, in order, if you're gonna judge someone's hypocrisy or not, don't you in fact have to have a standard of right and wrong to do that? And who gives that standard? That's the question. By what standard will you measure the rightness or wrongness of someone's hypocrisy? And if you conclude that even if hypocrisy itself is wrong, how will you judge whether anyone's guilty of it or not? Might I suggest that God has not left us in the dark on this? These verses are given in the context of judgment of the one who really matters, the one who sets the standard. Remember, right here in this chapter, just a few verses up, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The context is this is God's judgment. He's pouring out his wrath on all men. Rightfully, not flying off the handle like he just lost it finally. He's had it off. No. The very, very calm, serene, total understanding of everything in every context that you and I try to wiggle in to find our little excuses. Just how far is God willing to go in judging our ungodliness and unrighteousness? That's the main idea of this passage, that God's covenant curse 
does show us how far he'll go to show us how far we've gone. And the big question is, is why do we need not just the gospel, but we need the God of the gospel? Because God himself gives us over to ourselves by giving us up to delusional lusts, dishonorable passions, and debased minds. And there's sort of a progression here. First of all, he gives us up to dishonorable lust. And the application is when we give in to these things, we become incapable of thinking through our choices and how they will impact others and others' futures, let alone our standing before God. And first, Paul points out that we live unto bodily destruction in verse 24. He talks about the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. We are given over to impure desires. God is basically saying, you keep clamoring for this, so guess what? I'll give it to you. Go wild, run free, and see what becomes of you. James 1, 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted Get this, where is the locus? Where is the focal point? When he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Do you understand there are a lot of people, even in the church today, that's saying, for instance, the issue that Paul brings up here with homosexuality. They're saying God condemns the behavior, but he doesn't condemn the desire. Well, that can't be because it starts in desire. The desires themselves are delusional and they lead to dishonoring. Because look at what it says, verse 15. Then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. God is compassionately warning us here through Paul. Don't give yourself over. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. That means Paul's underlining this. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility, in the uselessness of their minds. They're delusional. They are, listen, this is their delusion. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They're ignorant because they think they know everything. And we can now say, and the church should say, that we should be tolerant. And granted, I agree with tolerance of people and points of view. I don't want to advocate violence, and we should not ever support violence against anybody for anything. Again, with self-defense as an exception. Violent, we, in the church, we're not for violence. We're for persuasion. That's why you have a talking head up here that God appointed to talk about these things. It's just persuasion, people. No one wants to do violence. And the biggest lie of the devil is that words of violence. They're not. God made you in his image. You gotta bear up under it and let the Bible interrogate you. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Every kind, not just the ones Paul mentions here. 
He's just getting specific because everybody loves to say, okay, that's fine and highfalutin talk of you, but give me some specifics. Well, Paul goes, okay, I'll give you some. But it's impure desires leading to an unnatural design. Now, I want you to see, I know people think that Christians are, you know, we're culture warriors and, and we are. We're culture warriors and all we care about is homosexuality and abortion and we don't care about anything else. We don't even care about the sins we do. We just want to get rid of those icky things and make the life like it is in the 1950s with Beaver Cleaver and everything else, okay? But the Bible doesn't allow for that. Look at the whole context of what Paul, or, or Paul is drawing upon here in Leviticus 20. And it should say 10 through 13. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Okay? So it's sexual immorality to its logical endpoint. If a man lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion and their blood is upon them. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. What's the penalty for each? The same. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. You, ever want, you don't have to worry about God's will for anything else but this. God tells you what his will for you is. Your sanctification. You're becoming more like Jesus in your character. All right? That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Notice he's concerned about the body because this is unnatural design. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Key part there. Verse six, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. And I'm sorry, as we told you beforehand, and this is Paul's heart, solemnly warned you. He's not trying to be mean. He's not trying to get his high horse. He doesn't get off and just preaching hellfire and brimstone. He's actually talking to you about reality. God is God. And that's what he says. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God. Again, key issue, disregarding God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So there's a living unto bodily destruction, but there's also a living unto spiritual destruction. Verse 25, because they exchange the truth, and there it is right there, exchange the truth about God for a lie and served, worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's the issue. It leads to these things, but the key issue is that you focus your worship here and now on earth as if there was no God above. So it said, this is the ultimate impure desire right here. More than homosexuality desires, more than uh, sexual lust not to, and that's not to uh, make those less important than they are. I'm not trying to make light of those things. But the ultimate 
Impure desire is this, Jeremiah 10, 14 through 15. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols. Why? For his images are false and there is no breath in them. They are worthless. And look at what he says, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Isaiah even goes further about the ultimate unnatural design of false worship. Isaiah 44, 15 through 17. He's talking about forming an idol out of a piece of wood. And he says, then it becomes the wood itself. He makes an idol out of it, but it becomes fuel for, for a man. He takes part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a God and worships it. And he makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it, he burns in the fire. Over the half, he, burnt, he eats meat, he roasts it, and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the rest of it, he makes into a, goal, a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. Now, that's a concretization, a very concrete illustration of what we do in heart when, when we see these things flourish in our society. We are bowing down to that which is not God. See, initially we're drawn away in our own idolatry, never taking account of God. Even though God himself has plainly revealed himself as we saw in verse 18 and down into those early verses of this section. And so everybody, you know, we get on, and you know, if you ever happen to get on a new show, which I doubt any of us will, but I can imagine myself under the pressure of, you mean to say that people can't love who they love? And I'm not saying that. God is saying, I designed it. But do you think they're gonna have patience to wait for me to really give the, the underneath explanation for all this, or are they gonna to try to paint me off as a bigot and a homophobe? You know the answer to that one, right? And get this, Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, and boy, I would be tempted in that social pressure to just go, yeah, I think we just need to tolerate all people and let live and let live, love is love. Who am I to say you can't love who you want? Well, first of all, it ain't I that's saying that. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You see, this is compassion. Do you understand this is compassion? This is leading to the death of people. And death isn't just dying, because we're all doing that. Unless Jesus comes back, which I hope he does soon. Death is about the unnatural state of having to live with God but not be in right relation with him. That's death. So in all of this, we become, it's, they are delusional lust because we become incapable of thinking through our choices. We get locked in. And that's the next point that Paul gets into. That God's covenant curse shows us how far he'll go to show us how far we've gone. And this is why we need the God of the gospel because God gives us over to ourselves and we, in turn, also participate and give ourselves up to this by giving us up to delusional lusts and then dishonorable passions. 
And what happens is we become seared in conscience. Our consciences no longer can begin to discern right and wrong for what it truly is. We can say certain things are right and that I'm being oppressed and you're the oppressor and I'm suffering this injustice through you because you won't let me call myself a non-binary, slightly gay, bisexual, something or other. You won't let me say that. And by the way, you have to use my pronouns, which is Zer, him, they, it, sir, it. Seared and con- Yeah, I can, they have a whole list of right and wrong, trust me. And you will be punished if you do not conform. But it's anti-God. That's the key point. Dishonorable passions. We become seared and conscious. The Bible, the King James actually has a better translation. They're vile passions. Now, again, God's not trying to say this is icky. Like we, we want to say this is icky, right? We don't like it because it's not like beaver cleaver. And God, God is saying, no, no, these are vile. They wrap you up in death. So, verses 26 through 27 at the beginning. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women. Women first, because it's contrary to nature. It's a meaning against the grain of nature, against the upstream of natural order. And what is that nature that Paul is talking about there? Well, look, this is the nature. This is why. How far off from this vision is it? Genesis 2, 18. And, then, and the reason why I put 18 in here, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. That's the design. See, it's not... We're not, culture, we're not cultural warriors because we want to get rid of the gays. It's not even about that. The, the, the homosexuality is an expression against this design. It's the way God made it. And it's clearly seen. But these people have their consciences seared. And the people that go along with it have their consciences seared. The truth cannot get in. And I beg of you, if you find yourself here, please allow the Spirit of God to warm your heart. You don't want to head towards perdition and death. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. So he gives, a man gave name to all the animals. Nothing is found. So the Lord God caused deep sleep to fall upon man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last. Oh, at last. This is... You know, these are the first words that a man ever spoke in terms of biblical history. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Oh, I'm at peace, Lord. Thank you. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and will fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That's God's design. A man, a woman, in marriage, one flesh. Not outside of marriage, in marriage. Under the covenant bond, under the watchful eye of God. If it's outside of marriage, 
you are going anti-God. Period. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You know why they don't have to be ashamed? Because God put it together. Right? And then we have the men. First Thessalonians 4, 5, not, and I'm bringing back up what we already read, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. You see, the guiding principle when we get to this point is passionate lust. They do not know God, therefore it leads to this, and all that's left is the flesh, what Paul calls the flesh, which is us with a fist in God's face saying, I'm gonna do it my way. I don't care what you say. And, the, and we suppress the truth in our own righteousness and that beast ball keeps popping up and God's truth keeps going, uh-uh, uh-uh, don't do it. You're heading towards death. This is my warning. And we go, shut up. And try to push it out of the way. And it's all because we do not know God and it leads to unnatural compulsions. Look at what Paul says at the end of verse 27. And they were consumed, consumed, with passion for one another. Stuff we see on TV, is it not people consuming one another in their own selfish desire for fulfillment, using people's bodies that were made in the image of God? The real word for that is they were burnt, they Burn with passion, burning. They gotta do it, they're just locked in. It's like it's painful if I don't get to do it. But this burning is not like the burning or desire or impulse for heterosexual sex, which is in the context of marriage. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 9, but if they cannot exercise self-control, talking about Christians, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. It's a different Greek word, but the context here is different. Paul there is trying to set up the right framework for this desire to have an outlet, okay? Um, Paul does not indict this natural desire. Now, that natural desire can become a vile passion. Jesus puts that to rest, right? If you look at another woman in lust, you are guilty of adultery with her in your heart, okay? But, as uh, John Murray says in his commentary, marriage is commended as the outlet, the righteous outlet for this satisfaction. And so there is um, a living contrary to nature and then living in the consequences of nature. The end of verse 27, men committing shameless acts. Shameless, why? Because there's no shame at what God assesses as shameful. Okay? Shameless, it's kind of weird. It's the opposite, actually. If you're shameless about something, that means you're seared in conscience. You don't have any shame at all. That's what it means. When you should have shame. And everybody wants to rescue everybody from shame. And there is such thing as, like, people, There, it's still sin, but there's compassion for this. But... But to, to, you know, people don't want to have any shame for doing any of this stuff anymore. And God said, no, the right 
response should be shame because then you'd be on your knees asking God to deliver you and get a savior. And he would get it, gladly get it. He's merciful, right? Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 5, 11 through 12. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of, these th- of the things that they do in secret. And there is a clear and present penalty in this that un- with these unnatural desires paired with unnatural acts, it says there in verse 27, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. They actually receive it in themselves because they're locked down and they can't get out. But they feel like they can't. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Again, it's about the body. The Bible's concerned, very much concerned about how we use our bodies. Flee from sexual immorality for every other sin a person commits is outside his body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And the most obvious thing in this, if, if you're engaged in profligate, promiscuous sex is sexually transmitted diseases. But beyond that, you're constantly adding to the hardening of your heart. We become seared in conscience. And see what Paul has is this vision of freedom. Galatians 4.8, formerly when you did not know God, there's the key thing again, did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. By nature, these are not gods. They are very hard slave taskmasters. So God's covenant curse shows how far he'll go to show us how far we've gone. This is why we need the God of the gospel because he gives us over to ourselves by giving us up to delusional lusts, dishonorable passions, and finally debased minds. Now, if you haven't felt all that interrogated by God yet in this passage, because maybe the sins we've talked about so far, you think, I don't struggle with that. Or who cares what God says about these things? Live and let live as long as no harm is done to anyone, right? Or maybe you think you fundamentalists with your narrow interpretation of the Bible, believing it really is the authoritative word of God when it's really just a bunch of religious thoughts by some religious bigots, I want to plead with you if that's your thinking. Let God's word interrogate you here. We need the God of the gospel. Because God gives us over to ourselves by giving us up to finally debased minds. (laughs) We become insane and think we really are sane. When I used to do um, sexual abstinence uh, classes for the schools in Tupelo High School, I'd always start out by saying this. You can say all you want that I can do this and I can do that, and you can believe that there are no consequences for it. And that's like me saying, you know, I'm Superman. We had a busy road out right out in front of Tupelo High School, Cliff Gookin Boulevard. Lots of semis go by. Let's say I think I'm Superman because I believe I'm Superman. You must accept that. That's my identity. And I go running out and I say, I'm going to show you I'm Superman. I'm going to stop this semi barreling down this road. 
Isn't reality going to teach me a lesson? It's no different. It's no different. You see, this is Paul talking about when you live long enough contrary to the will of God, though your perception is clear all around you, you see it, like we saw in verse 18 and following, God made it clear there is a natural revelation that you can see that these things are true. And Paul, in the next chapter, when we get into it, he's going to talk about how your consciences tell you these things are true. You got it from the outside world and you got it from the inner world, okay? But we, this is the insanity of it all. We look at the truth squarely in the face and we're still turning away from it. And that's the lie of Satan, Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did he actually say, did God actually say all this stuff about homosexuality? Or is Paul just a cultural bigot? Lived way too early. He doesn't have the enlightened minds that we have. Is that what it is? You really want to turn your back on, you know, I would say 6,000 years of this tradition, if let alone if you don't want to believe in the God of the Bible? That's pretty well-grounded and pretty much civilized history throughout the world. Not to say that none of this stuff was ever practiced. We're sinners. It's going to come up. I mean, we just now discovered, oh yeah, gay marriage is okay. When no society ever in the history of mankind. We, we are smarter now. We know more. And so the perception is clear and there is a recalling in verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. See, God revealed himself in verse 18. He revealed his wrath. It's plain and it's shown clearly in verse 19. In verse 20, it's clearly perceived through the things that have been made. His divine nature, his eternal power. We know what we're doing. Look at the end of verse 28. Or uh, yeah, the end of it. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. He says ought there because we all know. And he's going to show that in chapter two, how the moral code of the Ten Commandments is in our hearts. Because that's what it means to be an image bearer of God. Okay? And so what happens is, is we get consumed in these dishonorable passions. These delusional lusts lead us to dishonorable passions, which then lead us to debased mind because we're consumed. And then there's these feedback loops that go and go and go. And it just gets worse and worse and worse the more you go on. Look at what, what he says there. And you can put in any sin struggle here because he he lists them right here. First of all, it starts with you being, verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice. And then it says they are full. So they're filled and then they're full. Full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, Disobedient to parents. Why did you throw that one in there? It's part and parcel of not acknowledging God. Our parents are the ones that give us the past, the values, the scriptural values, hopefully, but at least even the sound human tradition. 
Kids look to their parents. And what do parents do today? Oh, I don't want to enforce my religion on them. Let them go out and make up their own minds. Let them go out and find themselves. Find out for themselves. No, every one of us comes in and there's a set of tradition and assumptions that went on before us. We ain't the first ones that got here. This stuff has been tried and true and ultimately you trace it all the way back and it's the God who created the world. That's what it's about. And what happens? They, they, they are filled and then they are full and then they become foolish in verse 31 and then they become faithless. And where they end up? Heartless and ruthless. Boy, I tell you right now, in England, I could be thrown in jail just for preaching this sermon. It may not be long before I could be thrown in jail here in the United States for just saying what the Word of God says. That's how far we've gone. Faithless, ruthless. And therefore, we are living consequences of God's righteous decree in verse 32. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. You see, people say, well, that's not fair. You want fairness? Ask God about what fairness is. You're living and breathing right now. That's not fair. It's not fair to him. He made you to bear his image. And you've fallen short. And so then, so they know the decree of God. We'll see more in chapter two how they know it. They know the penalty. They deserve to die. We know this penalty. And yet they increase their guilt. Do you see how insane this is? Right? You know the definition of sanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Or banging my head against the wall so I don't have to feel the pain in my foot. That's insane. We went from individuals not thinking through how our choices impact them into delusional lust to how we have become insane, but actually think we're really saying we're the smart ones. We are the ones we've been waiting for, as a famous president once said over in Germany. We are the ones we've been waiting for. No, that's so anti-God. It's so anti-God. God is the one we should be waiting for. He's the one filled with compassion, trying to warn us. And what do we do? You're a bigot. What a blasphemy that is. Instead, God is trying to tell you so he can pour out his compassion and his mercy on you because he punished his own son in your place for these things. That's insane. So in conclusion, this is a biblical interrogation of all of us, not just a particular sin of homosexuality. Look at the list he put there. We're all guilty of some of these things, if not all of them, at some level or another. And as an old preacher once said, when you're done with sin, it ain't done with you. So what can you do? I want to challenge you in a good way, in a soft way. Let this interrogation lead you unto mercy. We need the God of the gospel. He's the one that made it and he calls us to repentance. When God gives you up, know then that your only hope, your only hope is in him. First Peter 3, right there, that section. I'm gonna end with this. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. 
In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind. That's what, see, that's what I'm trying to do here. Peter's telling me how to preach. I don't, I don't feel comfortable doing this in our present context, trust me. Not because I think y'all are gonna come after me, but eventually word gets out, you know? And that's not, I'm not trying to, it's no pity here. But this is what I'm supposed to do. I, by the way, I do say you a lot. I'm going to qualify it again. When I say you, I'm, inclu- I'm out in the congregation because I have to speak for God here. But under God's word. I'm under authority. So not that everything I say is inerrant and all of that can't be challenged. But I'm here to stir up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Verse two, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Go to the tradition of the apostles is what he's saying because the Lord and Savior himself set up this tradition to protect you. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Is this not what we're seeing? Scoffing. How dare you say such things? That's a hate crime that you said such things. By the way, I didn't say it. God said it. They will say, um, they, verse four, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, nothing's bothered us yet. Look at it, we're doing all these things. We've got this enlightened society. Nothing bad's happened yet. We can keep going. But then look at what he said, verse seven. The heavens and, the earth, and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of what? And I said this was all in the context of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And then look at this. This is the the softness, the opening of the door. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. All things are continuing as the way they are. But why is he slow? But is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all, should come to repentance. To to go from not acknowledging God to acknowledging him. To go from being stuck and consumed in your dishonorable passions to, oh Lord, please change me. I have no hope but in you. Thank you for sending Jesus to pay the penalty for these deplorable things I've done. Now please, please send your spirit, send your people, give me good counsel, wise counsel, according to your creation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we need you. And we ask that you would take this word that we have reflected on today and meditate even further on how much we need you. For the evil one works and he works in our world today to lead many astray into their own definitions of right and wrong as he tempted our first parents so long ago. But give us the joy of your salvation that you have worked for us in Jesus who lived for us the righteous life we could never live and then died on the cross for us the death we would never want to face. For it is in his precious name and for his glory we pray, amen.